I'm Sarah O'Donnell, and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's weekly politics podcast, the crushing it and shredding it edition. It's Friday, May 8th, and with me in our newsroom studio today, only a little worse for wear, our Journal Provincial Affairs columnist Graham Thompson. Good morning. And Provincial Affairs reporter Miriam Ibrahim. Hello. City columnist Paula Simons. Hello. And Provincial Affairs reporter Karen Cleese. Morning, Sarah. It was a big enough week (laughs) that I thought we'd better get the quartet in, not just the usual trio of uh, commentators to join me. As long as we don't have to sing in four-part harmony. (laughs) No. No no madrigals this morning. No. Absolutely not. I don't even know what that is, so how can I do that? (laughs) So... Looks like the polls were right all along, folks. Rachel Notley has won a commanding majority, and Alberta has its first ever NDP government. The Wild Rose is our official opposition. And in fact, Brian Jean won more seats in this election than Danielle Smith did in 2012. And the Tories, they're the third party without a leader since Jim Prentice resigned his seat before all the votes were even counted. There's been so many media postmortems of Notley's crushing defeat of Prentice already. I don't know that I wanted to get too bogged down in that because it's, you know, already three day old history and it was just so busy. I could we couldn't get in the studio to talk about what was going on right afterwards. So let me just ask you each in turn, what surprised you most about what happened on Tuesday night? Let's start to my left, Karen. <laughs> um we're still shell-shocked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would say, for me personally, what, what surprised me the most, uh, I was not surprised at the outcome. Where were you Tuesday night, by the way? Sorry, I was at I was at the Tory headquarters in Calgary. I wasn't particularly surprised at the outcome on, on Tuesday night. Um, however, I was uh, stunned at my own personal reaction to Jim Prentice's speech. Um, because I think there was a lot of uh, rage in the public. Obviously, we saw that in the polls. Uh, but the speech itself was heartbreaking um i was standing right in front of prentice because i was filming and uh watching him make that speech it was clear that this was a man who was um profoundly devastated and he started talking about how he was a young man in the party and it you know the reason he came back was to try to do whatever he could and that he couldn't have lived with himself if he hadn't have at least tried and uh his he he started to get tears at the back of his eyes and i and it was interesting because it was a very human moment it was not what i was expecting to feel or see um because it was such an epic shift but in the end it came down to this one man who was having to stand there and um and, and I think that folks would be astonished to know that, you know, barely a couple of dozen people uh, showed up to support him in that moment. Um, and, and particularly given that we had attended a, a uh, uh, leader's dinner in Edmonton the week prior where 1,600 people had paid $500 a plate to support the Tory party. That's $800,000. And not even, not even two dozen people showed up. And I thought, wow, this is... This is devastating for the Tory party. And indeed, you know, subsequently what we've seen in the media and in the, in the generally in the world is this fervor for the NDP. But I think it needs to be noted that Jim Prentice, uh, you know, had a, had a just a heartbreaking moment. So that for me was the most surprising. Wow, but what an indictment of of the Tory party, of, yes. of, of, the, of the bandwagon mentality. Yes. That when their leader went down, they couldn't even be there with him in honor. Yes, and, wow. and, and that all those people had showed up and paid all that money. And why were they there? I mean, it really tells you that they were there only and only to access the power that he had and not because they believed in the party or because they believed in the messaging. It was, it was as time goes on, I, I am more shocked by that event than I 
than I was even at the time. Paula, what for you was was the was the surprise of the night, or what what was your I, overall takeaway? I, I don't think I can top the emotional power of what Karen just said, <laughs> but I'll tell I'll tell you what shocked me the most. I thought the NDP would do very well in Edmonton. I thought they might sweep Edmonton. I thought they might pick up a couple of seats in the north. What I never expected was their strength in the suburbs of Edmonton. That they won Sherwood Park, both seats. That they won St. Albert. That they won Stony Plain. That they won Redwater. Uh, you know, I mean, these are these are areas that I thought if they didn't go Tory would go Wild Rose. And so what surprised me wasn't so much where the NDP beat the Tories, but where the NDP beat the Wild Rose. I mean, there's one of those seats in Sherwood Park where Kathy Olison, the former mayor and the incumbent MLA, lost. And Linda Ossinchuk, another former mayor and the Wild Rose candidate and a former Wild Rose leadership contender, lost. And it was the New Democrats who came out on top. That was Annie McKittrick who took out those two mayors. That one just astonished me. So I, I never anticipated how well the NDP would do in what I consider a very small C conservative part of the province. Miriam, how about you? Paula was in the newsroom, I know, and Graham was in the newsroom as well with me because we were shouting at each other across the newsroom at various points of the night. <laughs> Miriam, tell us where you were and, and what your kind of moment of the night was. Uh, I was at the NDP headquarters here in Edmonton at the West End. And, um, you know, I think what what really surprised me was how quickly it all came down. I mean, it was within about 30 to 40 minutes that it became very clear that that the NDP had taken a majority and, and, and a resounding one at that. And I think there was there was like a little bit of, you know, cognitive dissonance there. It was like, am, am I am I still in Alberta? Is this where I, I am reporting from? What happened here? You know, like and, and we were sitting at the media table and I remember sort of all the journalists looking at each other thinking, are we witnessing this? Is this actually and then, you know, the crowds of people pouring in. But I think for me, it was just how quickly it came. I mean, within a few minutes of those doors opening at eight o'clock, there were loud, loud cheers um, coming from that crowd as as the results started rolling in, even in small batches. Uh, and those cheers didn't stop for, for, like I said, 30 to 40 minutes, and then they just, you know, lost all control. But it was, it, that was incredible to me, just how fast. I have to say, Mary, the moment I, it felt real for me was when you tweeted that the premier security detail had arrived there. And yes. I, I got a chill because up until that minute, even seeing the numbers, it, it really didn't sink in until you saw the apparatus of power transfer over like that. Yeah, that was that was quite uh, incredible. And actually, Karen will tell you, I was having sort of like journalism dreams before the election <laughs> where I thought, you know, how will we know if, you know, Rachel Notley becomes the premier? And, and one of the signs that we talked about was the security detail. And, and so to have seen one of them standing outside, uh, you know, a, a boardroom uh, door uh, outside of the, the banquet hall there was sort of like, whoa, this is real. And Mr. Thompson, <laughs> for you, well, what was the, the moment of the night or what, well, you what know, was your Besides take? the surprising win by the NDP, the, the not so surprising win by the NDP. The Sorry. very surprising win. By the NDP. <laughs> I guess it, all it, it caught us all off guard. Karen would like cared. to say that it didn't catch her off. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah no, no surprise at all that night. <laughs> I was gobsmacked. So yeah. um, I think the, the, also the vote splitting in Calgary. Looking at the the Antis did really well, of course, in Calgary, but every riding they were doing well, and the vote splitting did actually happen. We got the PCs and the uh, Wild Rose. Um, you know, having like 5,000 each in some writings, and then the NDP gets 5,500 or whatever and actually wins it. But I think what, was, what I kind of drove it home for me, besides the NDP winning, 
was a number of um, long-standing Tories who were losing, and big names. The big names are toppling. Um, Robin Campbell went down. Uh, Diana McQueen. Stephen Mandel. That's right, yep. Yeah. Mandel. Yes, I was getting to it. Yeah. <laughs> In Edmonton. <laughs> Sorry, we're all still very excited. <laughs> <laughs> Heather Klimchuk. You can go through a list, you know, here and in, in, in around the province. These people, we thought, you know, they're going to hang on because they're, they're, well, Klimchuk I knew was, I thought was going to lose there, but Mandel, we're wondering about these. These are all bellwethers. It was ringing in a matter of half an hour. They're all rung and they were done. And that surprised me. It wasn't just the NDP doing so well. It's the Tories collapsed. Yeah. And so we haven't had a change in government for 44 years. Let me just restate that for the record. 44 years we haven't had a change in government. So what's going on at the legislature right now, Graham? Uh, well, there's some shredding <laughs> going on. Um, but uh, right now, they're going through a transition of power. And that takes a lot of work. Um, it's not a case where people they can just sort of go back to uh, the session next week and, and start over. You've got uh, people at the annex, um, the annex building, the, the uh, legislature, uh, from the NDP on second floor, doing a lot of work um, figuring out how do they actually do the transition of power. Because there's nobody in the building. I think maybe um, Richard Discerny, who's a top civil service, has gone through this in other jurisdictions. No one in Alberta in the civil service has actually gone through this in Alberta. It's been 44 years, right? Is it much different from just the change in leadership? Because we have had several changes in, you know, premiership. So is it, is it, a, is a, lot, is it a lot different from that? It's it's absolutely different. I mean, we're going to see uh, total like upheaval. I mean, the staffers, deputy ministers, we're going to see um, you know the NDB come in and, and put their stamp on this government. They're going to want to be very um, careful to do that, obviously. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, this is and 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 not only that, but the NDP increased its its caucus from four members to fifty three members. You know. There are a lot of MLAs that need to pack up, move out of the legislature building, a lot of MLAs that need to move into that building. I mean, it's it's going to be it's going to be weeks. They're not going to fit in that little corner annex office anymore, are they, the NDP? Yeah, I'm sure the it's getting... as well of cabinet. She has, she has to choose a cabinet, which is fascinating as well. And when will she bring the session back? Will they delay it? Um, and the budget, will they, will they bring a budget in or are they going to uh, go through what's called special warrants? where the budget may be delayed uh, months and months, and they can actually then just start, in a sense, sign a check. It's called a, a special warrant. It's been done before in the past. Because they can't get into the House too soon. Uh, well, first of all, the officials are recount period, appeal periods, until May 26th, and, and then they can start swearing in the MLAs. But most of these people haven't been in the House or Assembly ever, and they've got to figure out that, the Speaker, things like that. There's a, lot of, a million different things, big and small, that people don't really realize what it takes to actually then form a government and get things moving. There have been the bags of shredded documents as part of this transition that we've seen. Is What's what's going on there? Is that something that Albertans should be concerned about? I saw the Privacy Commissioner did issue a statement about it yesterday. Yeah, I... There, there are bags of shredded documents in the hallways at the legislature. Uh, the shredder is working. I'm just not convinced that the Tories are wholesale shredding the history of Alberta uh, in the legislature. Um, I, there are shredding. There is shredding going on. Obviously, it's a transition of power. But I think most people don't realize that there are laws about document retention. There are rules about document retention. Um, they can be prosecuted for destroying records that uh, that should be retained. Um, Alberta does not have a great records management 
policy in place. I know this because I happen to be a, a FOIP nerd, but we do have one in place. And, I, you know, when I read Jill Clayton's uh, missive yesterday, I didn't read into it that she was, you know, getting ready to spank people. Um, she was just pointing out to all of the critics on Twitter that just because somebody shredded a bag of documents does not mean that those documents contained, you know, the seeds of destruction for the you know, for the for the Tories. So, you know, I think we just need to chill out for a bit. We do, we have absolutely no evidence that documents have been improperly shredded at this point. Okay. Thank you for that. I was <laughs> I was cons- <laughs> I just I was concerned I, about the paperwork, but I guess so. What you tell me is that you are not sitting there taping them together from the bags. No, like, no, it's like I'm that not. scene from Argo you know, where like, they have all the little kids, you know, trying to put the shredded documents I just together. Say that, um, we see this happen when even the PCs change leaders. Yes. You know, when, and we see uh, trucks outside, you know, bringing in special shredders to shred documents when they actually change PC um, uh, leaders. Um, there was a memo put out. Um, on Wednesday from the Premier's office uh, to all civil servants saying it's important that we, we do maintain records. It's called records management, they're calling it. That, because there was two memos put out, one was uh, regarding records management, and one was regarding all the political staff saying um, you may be looking for a job because the PCs have dropped from, you know, <laughs> the majority down to 10 people, well, nine or 10. And so um, the job starts to hunt too. So speaking of the transition of power, there'll be people, all kinds of jobs will be open for people to do work for uh, the, the new administration. So there's a reaction going on inside the building, obviously very practical things that they're needing to do. What's been the reaction outside in the rest of the world, Paula, from not necessarily from even those of us in Alberta? Well, it's fascinating because, you know, when you see your world through other people's eyes, you, you realize how different things look from a question of perspective. The New York Times wrote a story about the far left party that's taken over Alberta. Uh, you know, The Guardian, which is a, a more left of center paper from from the from the United Kingdom, you know, sort of also made it sound like, you know, you know, big lefties have taken over, which is, I think, probably not the way Albertans saw that election narrative unfolding. The stock markets, certainly in the immediate aftermath of Rachel Notley's election, uh, energy stock prices fell precipitously, even though the price of oil was up. And it's it's obvious that Notley has spent the last 48 hours reaching out to people in the energy sector trying to assure them that, as she said in her press conference, Alberta was going to be A-OK. I felt badly for her because she was clearly, you know, as you watch that press conference, you know, like trying to think of the right phrase and that was what came out and you sort of (laughs) saw on her face. Yeah, maybe that wasn't what I wanted to say, but but I thought it made, but, a, but, thought it made just a fine headline. But uh, so you know, the the other interesting reaction has been from the federal government. Uh, Peter McKay, the federal justice minister, uh, came out and said, "Oh, it was like a morgue in our caucus meeting," which was probably ill-advised. And then he said, "Yeah, somebody called. You know, we're going to have to call Alberta now, Albertistan." which was even less well-advised. Um, you know, uh, Twitter took off with that. There's now a T-shirt that's come out that people <laughs> have, uh, you know, the People's Republic of Alberta stand. So, you know, how the federal government is actually going to react uh, to a Rachel Notley victory is going to be very interesting to see. I mean, Stephen Harper is going to have to have a relationship with her. They're going to, you know, have to be at the stampede together this summer. It's going to be fascinating to see. Meanwhile, the federal New Democrats, I think, are perhaps taking a little too much um, you know, uh, vicarious credit for this, you know. Um, Since the be- best thing they did was stay away. The best thing they did was stay <laughs> away. And sort of, you know, their reaction in Ottawa was somehow that, you know, Rachel Notley was their protege and that this was going to be great news for them, which I think is probably equally ill, well, maybe not as ill advised as talking about Alberta Stan, but, you know, also 
perhaps not the most mature response to mm-hmm. what happened here, which I think was very much Rachel Notley's victory. Is there any worry, Graham, that this you know kind of doom and gloom attitude could be a self-fulfilling prophecy? You would hope not. I think you know people, business people, are, are very um, self-interested. So if people are selling their stocks, it's the time to start buying those stocks because. Um, Notley is reaching out, and she's very, she's very pragmatic, very moderate. I think people are going to see that. No, things will, I imagine, be a okay in Alberta. So, no, if you're a business person, it's all about making a profit. Okay, what's the biggest job now for Rachel Notley, Miriam? What's she got to do? She's got to pick a cabinet um, for sure, right? And I mean, everyone's been making a lot of um, noise about the fact that they've got a lot of young people in their caucus and a lot of inexperienced people in their caucus, people who've never served in the legislature at all. Uh, so she has to do the very careful job of putting together a front bench um, and it needs to, I did a story this week, it needs to project uh, competence, um, you know, new ideas. Uh, she needs to show people that even without the experience within her cabinet, they have the skills um, that are required to to do the jobs. Uh, so it'll be interesting who fills those top those top positions like finance and energy and environment. Um, and then she's got to get that caucus ready to get into the legislature. As Graham said earlier, there's a budget that hasn't been passed, and now we're going to see a brand new budget, presumably. Um, and how quickly they can make that happen, um, I think, is a big question mark at this point. What about Brian Jean? What does he have to do to get ready for life now in the Alberta legislature? Well, it's interesting because, I mean, he is the brand new leader of the official opposition. He's never been in the Alberta legislature, although he has plenty of federal experience on the back benches. He's also got, you know, 21 members, most of whom are brand new uh, to to the Alberta legislature. So he, like Rachel Notley, is going to have to figure out how to get his team organized. And it's interesting, when he was in to speak to our editorial board, I mean, he said to me at the time that he thought... I think at that point he thought he and Rachel would both be in opposition, that they could work together to, you know, clean out the closets and look for the skeletons. And I think during the election campaign, they actually had quite a nice personal rapport. We'll see how long that lasts now that they have their uh, their very new jobs. I just want to say quickly, um, speaking of the, the new newbies coming in, next Tuesday is training day for the MLAs. It's like 60 or 70, I guess 70, 70. new ones coming in. 70, yeah. And so they're I'm picturing hurdles and chin-ups. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so they're going to be in the chambers. They're going to be in the assembly. And, um, and the person conducting the training is Gene Slazdesky, who is still speaker. And he'll remain as speaker until the session is called and they elect a new speaker. And so he's doing all the training. Like, the, the transition, in a sense, at that very basic level, getting them in, get them signed in, tell them uh, how they get paid and how a bill works, how question period works, all that has been done by Gene Splastesky. That's fantastic. And I I did hear him being interviewed about that. And I mean, he did, he was very gracious about it all it seemed it seemed like and he, he very much has accepted that as I guess part of the job as you would if you're oh, speaker. He, and he loves that job oh, so yeah. I yes. think he takes every aspect of it totally seriously. Yeah, he's, a, he's a teacher by training I, I, they're probably and he's a good, a good guy training. too yeah. right yeah. I mean you can see he would enjoy that process. And for the progressive conservatives their leader is Ooh. gone. <laughs> Jim Prentice is there's going to be another Tory leadership race what what are they what's going to happen to this party 
there's a lot the Tory party has to do. Obviously, they're going to have to put a an interim leader in place before, you know, they come back into the session. They're going to have to run a leadership race. Um, you know, I was Although talking They may not do that for some time yet, I'm guessing. Well, we'll see. You know, I talked to uh to Kelly Charlebois on the night that the dynasty fell and he said, you know, they they hadn't given a lot of thought to those things at that particular <laughs> moment. Um, but uh but he did say, you know, they had 80,000 members across the province and I thought, well, we'll see how long that lasts given the turnout. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, they do have 10 members in the assembly, uh, depending on recounts that may go up by one or two. Um, and uh, and so, we'll, you know, we'll see. I mean, they, they have a lot of work to do. It's very clear from the outcome of this election that the party uh, has profound internal problems. And I think, uh, you know, based on what we saw in the campaign, based on what we saw at the, uh, at the, the on the evening of the of the dynast- dynastic fall, um, I think you know, they're going to be doing some real soul searching going forward. And perhaps anything we've learned from watching the Wild Rose Party, at least, is you should never count these parties out. They can rebuild in ways you don't expect. Or can they? Because see, in Alberta history, the government that loses, the party that loses government, never reforms government. They don't come back. That's true. The Liberals, the United Farmers, the South Creds. Liberals tried to come back in close in 1993, but those other parties, uh, um, Paula's right, the UFA, the Liberals, the PCs. We'll see what happens to them, but they may be done. So I'm who's the new leader? Who's the new leader? That's my question. Can we take guesses on who's going to run? I'm well, I think mean, of who's actually left. I mean, okay, so I mean Rick McIver Rick, Rick and, Rick and Manmeet Bular, I guess, are the, are the obvious two that, that come to mind. But, I mean... It's it's tainted goods. I mean, who who wants to be leader of the Thomas Lukasik also didn't seem uninterested uh, <laughs> after he, I heard some interviews with that him. That could where, be very interesting. Yeah, we, we, you mentioned the Liberals, Graham. The Liberals did win one seat, mm-hmm. and also the Greg Alberta Clark. Party. Greg Clark won his seat in Calgary Elbow. The, for the first, first time that party actually elected a member to the yeah. legislature. Yeah. So, so kudos to Greg Clark. Can we just put that on the record? Yeah. I mean, this is a guy who. Uh, won his riding due to sheer hard work. He has been pounding on doors in that riding. He's been showing up to events of the legislature. He has been working like a dog, and he won that riding with just pure grit. And what? Cre- and they had really creative campaign signs, and and just uh, you know they they had some fun with it, which was you know that obviously worked for the NDP as well. What yeah. do you think the future is for the Alberta Party? You got sorry. I was going to say you got to wonder because they were kind of formed to be a party that would try and get the moderates together to actually take on the PCs, and now that's been done via the NDP. So the question is: Is there still a place for the Alberta Party? You know, the problem they have is it's great that Greg Clark won, and and Karen's right; he deserves full points for being able to withstand the the orange wave as well as for taking down Gordon Dirks, the sitting cabinet minister. But they had some star candidates in Edmonton who did colossally poorly. I mean, didn't even get a thousand votes. Uh, people like uh, Christina Stasia and John Hudson, who I thought would do better than that, they just got crushed by the New Democrats in, in their own ridings. Uh, so I don't know what the future for the Alberta Party is. And similarly, I don't know what the future for the Liberal Party is. I mean, some people a have merger. Been, well, I mean, I, I mean, a merger, a merger of what? I mean, Laurie, Laurie, yeah, Laurie Blakeman, who ran against her own party and tried to sort of force a merger in her riding, despite her gallant and really uh, 
ethically important leadership in the Alberta legislature over the years, I was really sorry to see Lori Blakeman. I'm being seat. I'm being facetious in a way that the then they could double the size of their cock. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> and then David Swan could be speaker and still have someone representing the Liberals. That would be true. Well, what an interesting few weeks ahead of us <laughs> after I, like a really interesting few months, years. It's just it's never been dull for a second since we started this podcast. I think we should do cabinet speculations, and I think it should be an extended edition. I'll, I'll bite. We'll briefly do cabinet <laughs> speculation, because I know that at first, the first impression of all these new NDP uh, MLAs was, holy smokes, they're really green or they're really young. That's kind of been the narrative. But as we've been doing these profiles of these candidates in the paper over the last couple of days, I've realized there are some really interesting people on there who mm-hmm. have a wide range of experience, uh, and, and they're not all 20. And you know what? I think it's okay to have young uh, MLAs as well. Let me just get that on the record. But so quickly, cabinet, who do you think, name one person or two people you think will be in cabinet? I think we're going to see Brian Mason as finance minister because she's going to have to get that budget through and she's going to need someone with some chops to do it and he's got them. And I think we're going to see Darren Billis as education minister. Oh, that's interesting. Paula, who do you think is going to be in cabinet? Well, I think uh, Sarah Hoffman from Edmonton Glenora, the former chair of the Edmonton Public School Board, certainly will be. Probably Laurie Sigurdsson um, uh, from the College of Social Workers. But there are also some, you know, people like... Um, I said uh, to. <laughs> All right, okay. well, on to Mary. On to Mary. Uh, Co- to- Colin Paquette uh, mm-hmm. at the Basket Redwater. Uh, okay. Paula's always pushing <laughs> the line. All right. All right. Uh, Colin Paquette is a good guess because his father was also an MLA and he's uh, taught ethics and law at the U of A. He's got obviously the skill set. Marlon Schmidt, I think, will be in cabinet, um, perhaps environment minister. Uh, obviously, Joe Cece down in Calgary is going to be in cabinet as well. Uh, Paula picked three, so I'm going to to uh, Shannon Phillips in Lethbridge. Okay. And Graham. Well, and I'm running, uh, out, name, left I'm running out of names now. <laughs> we, t- we, t- we took all the, we took all the I, obvious ones. Right, exactly. And I, I know Egan. David Egan. Uh, uh, thank you. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got one name and you take it away from me. <laughs> the, I think all the, the three, um, the uh, besides, of course, Notley will be, uh, the incumbents will be there. Another thing I, I'm still think, thinking about, the speaker. The speaker is such an important position. Yeah. Who do you put in the speaker? Because you need somebody who actually knows how the system works intimately. And that's another question they're going to have to figure out as well. But that speaker, again, right now is Gene Swastesky. He's quite, very happy to be there. He'll be there until they actually have a session and they elect a new speaker. And since everybody else got three, I'm going to oh, add in <laughs> the young woman the young woman from uh, Calgary Varsity. Remind me her name. I met her on Tuesday night. Oh, the lawyer. She's um, a lawyer. Steph, uh, Stephanie McLean? Stephanie McLean. Smart as a whip. I met her on Tuesday night. She's definitely going to be in cabinet. And I wouldn't be surprised if Rachel Notley holds a portfolio as well. Yes. I know our listeners don't like it when we don't do good stuff from the gallery. Does anybody have one sentence they want to put out, the author and the title, and we'll put up those links? I'll do one quickly. Uh, this morning in the paper, Michael uh, Dantent's uh, column was about how this orange wave will not really impact on federal politics. Okay. Miriam? Um, I'm going to recommend the video of Omar Khadr speaking for the first time uh, yesterday um, in front of uh, his lawyer, Dennis Edney's house. It was quite uh, something to watch. It was. It was. There was also a video from at the courthouse that the Journal and the Sun got as well. So That's that was right. a good one too. Paula? I'm going to recommend that people read the New York Times story about Rachel Notley's victory because it's so funny. Um, unintentionally. I'll send you the link. Very good. Thank you. Karen? Also from the New York Times magazine, a spectacular piece uh, by Mark Leibovich called Crying Gotcha. And it's all about how politicians 
uh, every time you ask a difficult question, they say that you're asking a gotcha question. And uh, it's a fantastic read for anybody who's interested in, in political journalism or who's a politician who has used the term gotcha. Fantastic. And you all know who I'm talking about. And I'm going to recommend a piece by Vancouver Sun columnist Vaughn Palmer about uh, the person from British Columbia who helped Rachel Notley run her campaign here in Alberta. And with that, we conclude the show, <laughs> crushing it and shredding it. Thanks again, Karen, Paula, Miriam, and Graham for coming. And uh, thanks to journal videographer Sean Butts, who's been recording our moving pictures for us this morning. <laughs> you can find that video clip in previous editions of the Press Gallery on our website, edmontonjournal.com. You can also catch us on TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, or iTunes. Subscribe, and each week a new edition will be dispatched to you by our own digital drones. Absolutely free drones. I didn't realize we had the technology. I'm Sarah O'Donnell. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you'll join us again next week in the Press Gallery.